Welcome to the IoT podcast powered by Paratus People. Be among the first to find out what's happening in the fascinating and growing world of IoT from the industry leaders themselves. Welcome to the IoT podcast show. I'm your host Tom White. Today I am joined by Rick Hall. Rick is the CEO of Agility Corporation. Agility is the only next generation analytics management tool set designed specifically to empower analytic teams to take advantage of the top analytic platforms. Rick is a software entrepreneur, has led the development of over a dozen software products and taken several companies from their early stages to an eventual exit. Rick's been working in analytics and software for 30 years and has been part of the evolution of several generations of technologies practices. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, I uh, really appreciate you having me and uh, nice to uh, chat. Yeah, likewise. Rick, uh, really keen just to kick off by just explaining your background in analyt- analytics and IoT. Uh, and then if you could go into what Agility actually does and uh, how you came about being in this field. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, kind of my journey into analytics and, you know, ultimately I think analytics is inevitably connected with IoT uh, has taken place over a long period of time. Right. I got out of uh, out of school and I had messed around with computers and I started working in really what was a nonprofit. Uh, they were trying to figure out how to measure their how to manage their membership and who was going to renew and who wasn't. And uh, you know, I was kind of the last person standing and got assigned to uh, build the databases to do that. Um, and uh, so that kind of ultimately led into uh, what has been a career. And uh, I went from there to join a small consulting firm working in the telecommunications space. And I didn't know at the time I was really interested in analytics, but uh, you know, telecom in those days was really concerned about this question of churn. Right. So somebody signs up for a subscription. How often do they renew? What keeps them from renewing or switching? Um, which it turns out is a is an analytic question. Right. And uh, so kind of my career evolved from there on this kind of intersection of how data answers business questions. Um, and I would say IoT has entered the picture, you know, kind of over the past 10 years in a bigger and bigger way because so much more of the data that we're using to help us make decisions is coming directly from the operational systems uh, that support a business, right? So, you know, kind of, I was thinking about, you know, kind of what you guys do in IoT the other day, you know, it kind of seems to me that we had this generation of where it was just all about automation, right? And we're gonna try to automate everything and we've been doing a lot of that. Um, And it's almost like data uh, became the, you know, kind of the afterthought, the output of automation, right? We didn't necessarily go into it with this idea that we're going to automate it to produce all this data, and then we're going to use that data to make us better, right? But that's kind of what's happening. And I think, you know, IoT, uh, probably like a lot of technology, started out with automation, right? You know, we're going to put this technology here because it's going to automate things. Um, but that automation has produced a ton of data, uh, and that data is leading to opportunities to improve and make our processes better, 
And so the circle from you know automation, including IoT, to data, to analytics, to improvement is kind of a cycle I think we're all in. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, Rick. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a fascinating background. Um, clearly, a lot of, a lot of your uh, past is in analytics and software. What are the processes and technology that companies need to, to really succeed when it comes to analytic programs, in your opinion? Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's kind of a number of things. So, you know, kind of over the past, you know, kind of, let's say, maybe 20 years, we've had this growth of analytics in this kind of metaphor that I sometimes call the central corporate data warehouse, right? And we're going to have something that gathers all the data from our company. We're going to put it in some structured place we're going to build some analytical capability on top of it to answer some you know clear business need or question um, a very engineering centric uh, approach and that approach has solved a lot of problems but it's very difficult for it to keep up with the progression of business the changes that are going on or the variety of decisions that are made kind of at the edge of business right so I think today where we are in analytics is we're in this evolution where it turns out, you know, analytics, which I define as just using data to drive outcomes, is kind of necessary everywhere, right? And to get to kind of analytics everywhere, we need a we need a data platform or platforms that allow us to bring in, you know, kind of very large amounts of data, including a lot of IoT data. And that old generation of corporate central data warehouses, they probably didn't scale to those big volumes of data. So you need a place where you can manage large amounts of data. I think largely today, uh, that's in the cloud, right? So, you know, because of the elasticity and the scalability of cloud technology, I think a lot of times that's the place. You can do it on premise, so that's not out of the question, but you need a data platform where you can process the data, right? Um, then you need, uh, you know, tooling to let you create the analytics on top of that data. Uh, and you need to empower people in the business to use that data to, uh, to get to better results. So, you know, kind of I'd say data platform, analytic tooling, end user empowerment are really kind of three things, you know, in the cycle that, that you need. And I think that last one in user empowerment is really critical because we're never going to be able to uh, do what we want entirely from a centralized uh, world anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really insightful, actually. Um, thank you for sharing that, Rick. Well, one of the things that I'm really keen to ask you, um, given the fact that you're a serial entrepreneur, um, you've been involved in the startup of multiple companies. What lessons have you learned as an entrepreneur and how have you applied these to uh, the acquisition of Agility? Um, I'd be really keen, as I know some of my uh, listeners would be, in, in understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, so there's a, the, I would say the first thing, the, really the most central thing, is that you kind of have to treat every product or everything that you're delivering to customers as a hypothesis first, right? And your hypothesis should start with value. I want to create this value for this set of customers. I believe all entrepreneurial journeys should start there. Um, if you know what value you want to create, then your product is a hypothesis about how you can create that value. 
And the reason it's a hypothesis is you have to be able to iterate and test and learn, right? So I think the best companies today don't prescribe the answer up front. They uh, prescribe the problem and then they iterate on getting to the answer. And that's something I really have kind of learned over time, right? So I would say, you know, my first or maybe my first second, uh, you know, kind of iteration uh, was one where, you know, we did think we had the answer. We thought we were smart enough to know what people needed, right? And uh, uh, that oftentimes turns out to not be the case, right? So uh, you might have a general idea, but your users find out that they want something different. You've got to be able to iterate on it. And that's really key. Uh, so I think that's one thing. The, the other thing I would put to you know, kind of the entrepreneurial journey in general is, you know, kind of a, a tolerance for, uh, you know, for risk taking in the unknown, right? And, uh, you know, you've got to be able to adapt. You know, I remember early in my career, I hired this guy that had been 20 years in a big corporate environment. And he said, you know, one of the coolest things here is when it's time to zig, we zig, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and in the corporate environment, we had to form a committee to study Zig. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we thought that Zig made sense, we'd form a test uh, Zig and then we'd go out and test Zig. And by the time we got done, well, it was time to zag, right? So, uh, you know, kind of your ability to tolerate the unknown, think about it and adjust. You know, I formed a company called G4 Analytics literally on September 10th, 2001. Uh, and we had a big funding dinner and everybody was together and we're going to, you know, kick off this uh, company. And uh, a lot of people made big commitments. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was out in Seattle. I'd been working with Microsoft. So I get up in my hotel the next morning, I could go for a run. And I come back into the hotel and watch the planes crash into the World Trade Center, literally. Um, and uh, uh, so everything changed. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh I think that's just part of the entrepreneurial world. If you know, if you're not up for that, uh, and many people aren't, uh, then maybe it's not the right thing to do. But if you have a tolerance for risk, uh, you know, if you're willing to listen to your customers and iterate, uh, then you know it's a pretty fun place to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, crikey, thank you for sharing that. Um, what must you have thought, right? You know, that morning of uh, September the 11th when that, yeah, when that, you know, that occurred. Uh, well, I thought, A, I got to call my wife, which I think we all yeah. did. Uh, and uh, B, what the hell have I done? Or excuse me, what the heck have I done? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but I think I think it's very interesting what you say there about the, the agility and the way that you put it to talk about Zig, a meeting about Zig, a further meeting about a meeting about Zig, uh, and by the time you go to Zag, you know, the startup company have already done it, right? They, 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 they talked about it on the way to the office over the phone, right? You know, they sat around, had a breakfast meeting and they went for it. And I think that's really poignant for me, especially, I, you know, I have several interests within IoT, uh, businesses involved with various, um, you know, various sort of inputs into the ecosystem and, um, it's that ability to come up with an idea and run with it really, really quick, which is beautiful and is a real blessing of a startup or scale-up business. Yeah. Um, but but I think as you scale and as you get bigger, and, and clearly you're much more experienced than I am about this, Rick, that's when it 
potentially becomes a little bit more cumbersome or you need to answer to certain stakeholders within the business. Would, would you say that's fair? Yeah, and you know that's where I think what's been really interesting about kind of innovation culture has changed, um, and uh, you know it's come to this point where we're really trying to institutionalize the ability to iterate quickly, right? So you know you have uh, you you either love or hate Jeff Bezos and Amazon, right? But you know he always talks about the two pizza box team, right? So you know if I can't feed a team with with more than two pizzas. Uh, then with less than two pizzas, it's too big of a group, right? So it's all about, I want to push decisions down into the business and let the individuals iterate on what works as opposed to having some brilliant, uh, you know, uh, executive who makes all the decisions. And I think, you know, historically innovation and business process change, you know, was driven out of, uh, you know, a central structure. So I think there's, you know, for big companies to move quickly, they have to embrace the empowerment associated with the fast culture of, uh, you know, of, of startups, right? Um, and I think there's a kind of whole interesting thing there. You know, it turns out, you know, at Genity, we make tools for business analysts. You know, one of our biggest customers is Amazon. And unlike our other big customers, there's no central place to sell our tool at Amazon, right? It can't go find a corporate buyer, right? It's like everybody makes their own decision. So, you know, the victory for us with them was to get on their internal purchasing site uh, where individuals get their software and to create word of mouth because it's really decisions have been pushed down. And uh, I think that's a really kind of key thing that, you know, uh, I think a lot of companies didn't do right for years. You know, you did have somebody who was really good. They had a great idea. They built a great product, but then it became institutionalized around, you know, kind of this central person is the charismatic leader, right? Yeah. I think the best innovation today is pushed to the edge. It's iterative. And I think big companies need to embrace that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really useful insights. Thank you for that. Um, just in terms of challenges and of course rewards that you you you've had what are the notable um rewards that, that you've had as a, as a software entrepreneur given all of the businesses that you've been involved with right yeah i mean you know uh you know uh, people think you start a business it's all about you know you're going to make a lot of money and and maybe you will right but uh i don't actually think that's what the the real value of it is it's kind of like if you have some you know kind of value you're going to deliver right back to that's your starting point you're going to deliver some value you know the the exciting thing about being an entrepreneur is actually when you succeed in that right so you know if you create uh you know some idea of value that you're going to deliver and you're actually able to get there and you can see whatever you created delivers that value i mean that that that's you know for me that's that's really rewarding right and uh and, and then if that's where you get your reward from, then yeah, there'll be some monetary reward that comes with it. But you know, the reward is I see a problem, I wanna solve this problem, there's value I can create, I'm gonna go out and create it. You know, to see the idea that you come up with actually turns into something that people value and that they're, uh, they're taking uh, benefit from that and they appreciate that, that's, uh, 
you know, kind of maybe it sounds idealistic, but, you know, kind of for me, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, that's really nice. And I think that's quite wholesome and it, and it shows that you've done this for the right reasons. Um, you know, going back to your first remark in answering that question, you know, maybe you'll make a load of money and maybe you will, right? But it shouldn't be about that, really. It should be a byproduct of the success of doing something special be involved in creating that value for people yeah there's the the uh you know the the uh uh i forget his first name but the founder of hewlett packard hewlett uh you know he he had this uh idea which i really have seized on in my career which was that uh uh profit is not the goal profit is the measure of how much value you're creating for your customers Right. And I think if you think of it that way, uh, I think that's a really kind of cool way to think about, uh, you know, uh, business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rick, for those looking to start up and sell software, it can be quite a daunting process. Uh, and that's clear for anyone involved in the software sure. industry. What are the best practices to, to sell software, big and small, and, and some sort of take-home advice that you give people yeah. maybe looking to branch out and create something of their own? Yeah. So I, the first thing is that uh, I always kind of say, if somebody asks me, should I start a company, my default answer is no, right? <laughs> and, 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 that surprises and, me, Rick. And, and I only say that because, like, if you have to ask, uh, you know, yeah. you probably shouldn't uh, be doing it, right? Because you kind of have to be compelled, right? Because you know, being an entrepreneur means that uh, when risks come, and they will, you have to be the person to double down on your own self, right? You know, in classic investment advice is you got risk, spread the risk, right? But if you're an entrepreneur, well, you've got to double down on the riskiest point in your business, because if you don't, well, nobody else will. Mm. Uh, you know, but beyond that, you know, I would say that the biggest thing that's changed in how we build and sell software is that uh, one of the cool things is the evolution of software as a service and subscription-based models, right? So back in the day when I started in this business, we sold software on an enterprise scale. So we went to the CEO or the chief technology officer or, you know, whoever, and we sold them some grand vision, right? Um, and uh, if they bought into the vision, then we would spend, you know, six months or a year, you know, kind of implementing the vision as a big ticket item, right? Yeah. And really long sales cycles, took a long time to get them over the hump, then took them a long time to implement. And unfortunately, a lot of those systems ended up as shelfware because the gap between this big vision and the person on the ground who looks at it and goes, this doesn't make my job any easier. Um, was great, right? So you have to give uh, Mark Benoff and Salesforce credit for really pushing the idea of software as a service, uh, you know, and a subscription-based model. And the cool bit there is uh, I'm going to make it really easy for the end user to start buying my product. Mm. And if they get value from it, then they'll help me find more people in the firm and I'll get more value and I'll be able to extend that and it's subscription, subscription. so I have to keep delivering value to them over time for them to keep buying my product. So it's not like that old days, they sold me the license, I paid them X million dollars, 
now they're trying to get value and I've already got their money, right? That was that's the old equation. I already got your money. Uh, right. I spent all my cost on the sales cycle just to get you over the line. God knows how many times we played golf, you know, to make that deal happen, right? You know, and I I don't even play golf, right? So, <laughs> uh, it's uh, um, so I think it's really cool what's happened, right? In a, for us, we embrace a freemium, land and expand subscription model. So hey, we've got a product, you can download it, it's free. If you like it, we hope you'll sign up and pay for it. If you pay for it, we hope you'll find other people in the firm who might like it and that you'll upgrade to the more premium model, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of an alignment of, I don't ask you for money till I create value for you. And, uh, and I uh, get money from you over time as long as I'm delivering value to you. Mm. And that's the model now for how software, business software in particular, or actually even individual software is being sold. It's largely, there's a lot of free, premium, paid, subscription, I think that's just, you know, so I would say anybody who's thinking about the software business, think about how you get in that way and then align this with this idea of I'm going to iterate and test and learn, right? So I'm going to give you something that's value on and see how you use it. I'm going to learn from how you use it. I'm going to iterate on that. And that's, that's kind of uh, where the business is today. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. And I think the emergence as you as you've correctly said there of SaaS based software uh has really transcended uh a quite a few different markets right and quite a few different models yeah um and i always say to people you know it's easy once you uh once you know how or it's easy once you've done it you know um but i think in terms of a transformative exercise that's that's revolutionized software hasn't it to, to be yeah, able to get yeah, to yeah. get get people to buy into the product um emotionally without a cost because if you buy into something emotionally then you're going to pay for it um and that's a big difference rather than paying sort of you know 60 70 dollars up front for something that you've not you've, you've got no connection with um rick i'm really interested to know a little bit more about agility how this links to IoT and the analytics uh, side of this. How far do you think we can go with analytics? And what does the future look like, say, in the next five years? So, I, I mean, I think we're going to, you know, we're, I think we're in the build, middle of a revolution with analytics in the sense that we're, data is everywhere. It's exploding. IoT has a lot to do with that explosion of data. Yeah. And it turns out that almost everything we can do can be improved. And it turns out that one of the keys to improving everything we do is to use the data about how we did it in the past, right? That's just like, that's, there's almost nothing that is not impacted in that way. Um, so if you think about, I want to get analytics everywhere, and you think about the pace of change that's going on in the world, then uh, we've got to be able to, you know, empower people throughout our business to use data on their own, right? So, um, you know, that's a really key thing. Like a couple of years ago, IBM did this study and they said in the US, we're going to need 2 million data scientists, you know, by the year 2000. So I guess we're there now, right? Um, and uh, uh, we need 2 million, but we produce 40,000 a year. 
Um, so their answer was, well, we're going to speed up the production of uh, that 40,000. You know, like, well, well, you know, we're not going to get from 40,000 to 2 million. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen that fast, right? So we've got to figure out how do we create data literacy uh, into people who are actually doing the job job, mm. not the analytics job, and uh, to empower them to use their tooling themselves. Uh, and sure, they're going to have to work with engineers. So that's where Agenity fits, right? So what we do is we build tools that are, we support what we call collaborative analytics, which just means that we're going to let a business user use our tooling directly themselves to do a lot of the analytic work uh, without requiring massive engineering. And then to take the best of what they do and improve upon it perhaps with engineers to get to something better. And what's interesting is, you know, when I started in the analytics space, kind of the corporate data warehouse model, right? You know, the idea that we would ever let a user ingest their own data and add their own data to our platform, and that was heresy, right? Like, no, I control the platform. I can determine what data goes there and you can't, right? Mm. But uh, now, you know, we see a lot of our users in part because our tools allow for that, allow business people uh, to ingest, add their own data to an architecture. And that data may come from an IoT device that they're experimenting with in the field, right? So, you know, IoT, I don't know anywhere near as much about it as you do, but, you know, my sense is that IoT is exploding and, you know, you're seeing IoT devices everywhere. Well, the people who are implementing those IoT devices probably would like to get the hands on the data and start doing something with it yeah. without calling on an engineering team that is going to be like, yeah, I'll load your data, call me back in three months, right? And, uh, you know, you're twiddling your thumbs waiting for them to get the data in a format you can use. So. We want to give the people in the business who are doing things and working today to ingest that data into the data platform without being technical. Simple wizards to do that, right? And then also simple tools to build the kind of queries and analysis that sits on top of that data uh, to help them get to answers, right? So the more organic we can make that process, of, I want to uh, add data you know, we call that ingestion. That probably is a terrible word for it, but we're technical people, so we can't make up any words that make sense, right? <laughs> I, I want to get the data in. I want to check its quality. Then I want to build some integration of that data to other data to make it a, a sensible set. Then I'm going to do a calculation on it, and then I'm going to analyze the results. Um, we don't want that to be five separate pieces of software that all work independently. You got to glue it all together. We want to make that a really seamless experience that a business person can do without requiring a massive amounts of engineering. So our tool sets are designed to do that, um, but to also do that in a way that collaborates with uh, those central engineering teams because they have a lot of skills. They've done a lot of things that can add to that environment. Like oftentimes, I need to add this new data set, this IoT data. But I also have all this other corporate data that's already there, right? Yeah. And I really want the two data sets together before I'm going to answer this question, right? So, you know, that original data set was probably engineered and is in some central structure, and I've got to be able to add to it. And that's, that's kind of where we, uh, 
fit, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Yeah, it really does. Rick, it's been fascinating. Honestly, it really has. Uh, you know, there's a wealth of, uh, of knowledge that you've got tapped away in there. Um, I'm, I'm sure it would take many hours, if not days, and uh, a few uh, a few rounds of golf, perhaps, Rick, right, to uh, to get it out. Um, or, that, or a visit to the pub. Yeah. Yeah, Bristol, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or a visit to the pub. Well, in fact, they're actually shut at the moment. Uh, uh, yes. They open. They open on April the twelfth. Not that I'm counting, Rick, by uh, <laughs> by by any stretch. Uh, but um, but no, it's it's been really fascinating. Thank you ever so much. Um, where can people find you online and find out more about Ingenuity? Have you got some sort of socials on LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that? Yeah, yeah, you bet. You know, so of course, Ingenuity.com is our corporate website. Uh, if you're kind of in the space of kind of analytics, you're trying to mess with data, you know, hey, go download Agenity Pro. It's free. Um, and, uh, you know, if you like it, we'll hope you pay for it and go on from there. Uh, I can be reached uh, directly on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Richard Hall, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people help me along the way. So, you know, I'm always kind of open for people reaching out to me for, uh, for thoughts. Uh, and, uh, you know, likewise, Agenity is, we're active on LinkedIn. We got a Twitter feed, you know, kind of all those, all those classic places. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great. It's been really insightful. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we'd love to having you. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate the time to chat. All right. Thank you ever so much. Yeah. Bye for now. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for more episodes in the IOT podcast the leading podcast among the IoT community.